Why... Why did my wife send me this video is the question. Okay, straw in the hot dog. Oh, he's, it's a straw, it's a straw now. It's a hot dog, it's a, what are you doing? The caption is life sentence, no parole, exactly. But, <laughs> is it just ridiculous and disgusting or is this man a secret genius? There's only one way to find out. This is, this is not how I expected my morning to go. Uh, yeah, you blur that can. No one's getting free promo. This is a mistake. Yeah, apparently this is the only straw that I have in my household. Uh, even, it just, even making the hole feels wrong. Ah! Did I make the hole properly? Ah, ah, Jesus Christ. I've been doing news 15 years on YouTube, but the moment I do this, I'm the, I'm the, the hot dog straw guy. Ah, I love, uh, <laughs> uh, wait, no, I hate everything. You know what? This guy made it seem way too easy. I hate this so much. I can't get it. I can't get it. Everything's so greasy. How the fuck did- this man's a G- how? I think I need a bigger straw. I wasn't expecting to do fucking hot dog surgery this morning. Like, I'm too far fucking invested to not finish this bit. I swear to God, if this doesn't fucking work now, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. This feels wrong. Feels like it's a crime. I'll be back! A few moments later. <laughs> I got to work with this. How does this look worse censored than not censored? Oh my god, no! 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 That man is not onto something. That man is a psychopath. I was like, maybe the, the median is that it will have like a, a Michelada type flavor. No! And I'm scared to even ask what this man went through in his life where he was like, I'm gonna use a hot dog as a straw just to feel something. It's nine o'clock in the morning. I wanna throw the whole day away now. Anyway, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you're subscribed because I'm splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky subscribe beautiful bastards this month. And let's just jump into it and forget what just happened, please. And then, do y'all remember when Kim Kardashian got robbed at gunpoint in Paris? Where she's in her hotel room with a bunch of masked men break in, they duct tape her eyes and mouth shut, they steal $10 million worth of jewelry, Kim's saying she was pleading for her life, that she's still traumatized to this day. And the big news today is that one of the men that was a part of this robbery was caught, served time, is now out. He was interviewed and he apologized to Kim Kardashian. I'm lying. Not only did he not do that, he came at this interview with the energy of, and I do it again. Saying not only did he not feel guilty, but he actually blamed her, saying he had no doubt that Kardashian would be traumatized by this, but, quote, they should be a little less showy toward people who can't afford it. For some people, it's provocative, saying, I saw one of her shows where she threw her diamond in the pool. My diamond earring came off in the ocean and it's gone. She's got a lot of money. This lady doesn't care at all. And adding, since she was throwing money away, I was there to collect it and that was that. Guilty? No, I don't care. I don't care. But honestly, one of the most interesting things about this story has been the public reaction to it. You have some saying, no, fuck this guy and the 11 other guys. They're trying to blame the victim here for their actions. Meanwhile, you got a bunch of people from the Eat the Rich crowd that are loving it. And then you got all these other people that are kind of like conflicted and torn. I saw someone leave the comment. We say eat the rich, then people get sad when she was robbed, laughing my ass off. But now with all that said, I do want to pass a question off to you. Where do you land on? This. Like for me personally, especially growing up without money like I did, like I understand the anger at the uber, uber wealthy, especially those who flaunt it, but like cheering on someone being tied up and held at gunpoint and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to live or die or something worse? 
I, that's a bridge too far. Also, how is this dude already out of jail and doing interviews? From that, I want to thank the fantastic sponsor for today's show, Bloodline Heroes of Lithus. This visually stunning hero collector fantasy RPG is all about merging bloodlines, uniting generations, and building your legacy. As the High Guardian, take control of the City of Light and journey through the world of Lithus to restore peace and order. The world is filled with fantasy races of every kind, and how you relate to them will ultimately determine the future of your kingdom. Develop the family tree to create powerful offspring, like a hybrid heir of dragonborn and demigods, or become a lichen, the werewolf clan of assassins or use my link to unlock for free the clan of Karg who transform into dragons. Level up to unlock more free companions. Explore territories, build alliances, and customize champions by marrying different bloodlines to find a unique combination of five powerful abilities out of dozens that best suit your gameplay. The possibilities are truly endless. And scan the QR code on screen or use the link and code in the description to get a special starter pack worth $20. 100k gold, 100 diamonds, and 20 intimacy packs. And the first 100 players who use my code Philip in-game will get a random epic champion worth $50 dollars for free, available only for the next 30 days. And then, let's talk about Donald Trump now filing a lawsuit seeking to block the FBI from further reviewing the documents that it seized during the Mar-a-Lago raid, and saying that he wants us until a so-called special master is appointed to oversee the process. Right, that being someone that's appointed to criminal cases where there's a concern that materials taken by the authorities shouldn't be seen by investigators because they contain privileged information. Now, notably here, Trump's own attorneys even said themselves that a prosecutor informed them that the DOJ has a special filter team that is reviewing the documents seized to pull out any privileged materials, but they're still arguing that that safeguard isn't enough, pushing the same narrative that they have this entire time. But this whole raid was politically motivated, with the lawyers writing in the suit, this matter has captured the attention of the American public. Merely adequate safeguards are not acceptable when the matter at hand involves not only the constitutional rights of President Trump, but also the preservation of executive privilege. And notably, in addition to asking for the special master, Trump's suit also requests that a judge order the DOJ to give him a more detailed report of the inventory they seized at Mar-a-Lago, as well as asking the department to return any items they took that weren't in the scope of the search warrant. And going on to claim that there is no reason for the FBI to do all of this because he was cooperating with the federal authorities who were trying to retrieve the documents that he was keeping at his home. An argument that Trump himself echoed in a statement yesterday where he also claimed that the search and seizure was illegal and unconstitutional. And adding, we are taking all actions necessary to get the documents back, which we would have given to them without the necessity of the despicable raid on my home, so that I can give them to the National Archives until they are required for the future Donald J. Trump Presidential Library and Museum. Now, with all that, there appear to be several major flaws with this claim. First of all, the we would have given it to you if you just said please argument doesn't really have legs. Because we know for a fact, unless you're closing your eyes and your ears, because you don't want to know the truth. The materials he took stayed at Mar-a-Lago for months, even though investigators were seeking their full return. And secondly, we're talking about materials that he kept that were highly classified and seized as part of an investigation into potential violations of the Espionage Act. So you're not talking about the kind of documents that you'd put in your presidential library. Also, if he was intending to give the documents to the National Archives until they could be put into his presidential library, it makes literally no sense why you would take them in the first place. Federal law literally mandates once a president's term ends, all official material remains under government jurisdiction and has to be provided to the archives. So they were literally supposed to have those materials anyway before he took them. And in fact, the archive spent a good chunk of 2021 trying to get those documents back, with the agency even confirming that it had retrieved 15 boxes of White House records at Mar-a-Lago in January. And very significantly here, just yesterday, multiple people briefed on the matter told the New York Times that those initial 15 boxes contained more than 150 documents marked as classified. And it was this sheer number of classified documents they recovered that prompted concern from the DOJ and ultimately helped launch the criminal investigation and raid to collect the remaining boxes. And while currently the nature of those classified materials is unclear, one source told the New York Times that they included documents from the CIA, NSA, and FBI, with multiple people saying that Trump himself went through the boxes in late 2021 before turning them over. And three advisors familiar with Trump's comments said that when the archives requested he return the documents, he refused and referred to the boxes as mine. But even with all of that, this isn't where it ends. Sources also said that the DOJ issued a subpoena for Trump to return any remaining classified material. When they went to Mar-a-Lago to retrieve those materials in June, Trump's lawyers gave them some more classified documents and signed a statement asserting that, to the best of their knowledge, that was the last of it. But of course, 
course, we now know that other classified materials were discovered when the FBI executed a search warrant on his estate earlier this month. But the Times noting that the investigation is still ongoing, suggesting that officials are not certain whether they have recovered all the presidential records that Mr. Trump took. Right? And this is still a developing situation. I mean, just as I was recording today, the National Archives released a letter written in May by the acting archivist that seemingly confirms at least part of the Times' reporting. Specifically, that the 15 boxes taken in January contained over 100 documents with classified markings comprising more than 700 pages. But this including documents related to special access programs, which are some of the most closely held government secrets. And notably, the letter also underscored the archives' efforts to get these documents. With the archivist writing that the agency had ongoing communications with Trump's representatives throughout 2021 about what appeared to be missing presidential records. And what's more, it also showed that once the archives finally got the 15 boxes, Trump and his team still tried to block the FBI from reviewing them, though that request was ultimately shot down. So seemingly there are tons of lies, tons of sketchiness, and what's fucking wild is that this seems to be working in Trump's favor. With recent polling showing that the FBI rate has spiked Trump's favorability among Republicans, and even increasing the number of downloads of Trump's Truth Social. So you know, everything's fucking stupid, as per usual. And then, let's talk about the crazy Elon Musk Twitter saga. I wish I knew how to quit you. Why don't you? now having a whistleblower element. Right, so the man at the center of this story is Peter Zatko, better known in hacking and cybersecurity circles by his nickname Mudge. Growing up in the Northeast almost five decades ago, he dove into the world of computers at an early age, eventually spending his days at a computer lab with MIT hackers in college, and moving on to work for a firm helping to build the early internet, but his career really began in 1996, because that is when he joined an underground hacker collective known as Loft. It's often called the first of its kind in the US. But also, when I say hackers, it's not like bad. They actually got a lot of praise for providing early warnings about security flaws in programs. So by making flaws public, they left companies vulnerable to attack. So Microsoft's like, hey, why don't you actually just give us advance notice so we can patch issues before you publish them? Which is actually how they originally developed the model for coordinated disclosure used by most researchers today. Right, but all of that is to say, that's why people say Mudge is credible. He testified to Congress in 1988. He's advised big banks and software companies. He's even worked for DARPA. Then going on to join another group that coined the term hacktivism, using hacking to promote human rights by increasing transparency and fighting surveillance. Right, so we have all of that background and then we jump to the summer of 2020. Twitter gets humiliated by a 17-year-old American kid who hacks the accounts of numerous celebrities including Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and Barack Obama. So the company's CEO at the time, Jack Dorsey, understandably wants to tighten up security, with him eventually finding Mudge, with a source telling the Washington Post, Jack loves hackers and Mudge is a hacker legend. And so Mudge comes on board as the new head of security and according to him, conducts a thorough review of Twitter, hiring top engineers and pushing for more transparency and accountability, with him remaining in that role until January of this year when he was fired. But then last month, he filed a complaint with the SEC and multiple law enforcement agencies alleging wrongdoing at Twitter. And now that filing has been published with it accusing the company of having extreme, egregious deficiencies in its spam and hacking defenses dating all the way back to 2011. So let's go through what's been alleged and how explosive all of this actually is. First up, Mudge says that Twitter had extremely lax security practices, giving thousands of employees amounting to roughly half the company's workforce access to some of its critical controls. There's an analogy of an airplane. So you get on an airplane and every passenger and the uh, uh, attendant crew all have access to the cockpit, to the controls, you know, that's entirely unnecessary. It might be easy, but there it's too easy to accidentally or intentionally turn an engine off. And one of the reasons this worried him so much was that after January 6th, as Twitter executives were debating whether to censor Donald Trump, he feared that employees who sympathize with the insurrectionists might try to tamper with the platform. So he investigates how vulnerable it is, saying he discovered no logging of who went into the production environment, basically the place where engineers can make changes to the software, and adding that Twitter also lacked the ability to hold workers accountable for information security lapses because it has little control or visibility into employees' individual work computers. Also citing internal cybersecurity reports estimating that 4 in 10 devices do not meet basic security standards. Then among the other allegations, Mudge says, 
says that Twitter has an anonymously high rate of security incidents, approximately one per week, serious enough to require disclosure to government agencies. Yet despite this, he claims that the company hasn't been complying with a more than decade-long agreement with the FTC to clean up its security problems. Which, I mean, that alone is especially huge because if Twitter is found to have violated its legal obligations, it could potentially face billions of dollars in fines. Then, in a bombshell revelation, Mudge claims that right before his firing, the U.S. government provided Twitter with specific evidence that at least one of its employees was working for another government's intelligence service. Or to translate, there may be a foreign spy inside Twitter. And this comes just a couple weeks after a former company manager was convicted of spying for Saudi Arabia. And then finally, for what we're talking about, Mudge's disclosure includes several claims that Twitter lied to its shareholders, to regulators, and to Elon Musk. First, with the shareholders, after Jack Dorsey stepped down last year, Rag Agrawal took over as CEO, allegedly being far less transparent than his predecessor, allegedly discouraging Mudge from giving a full accounting of Twitter's security problems to the board of directors, with executives allegedly ordering Mudge to give an oral report of his findings to the board rather than a detailed written account, telling him to knowingly present cherry-picked and misrepresented data to create a false perception of progress on urgent cybersecurity issues, and going behind his back to have a third-party consulting firm's report scrubbed to hide the true extent of the company's problems. Secondly here, Mudge alleges that Twitter executives put user growth before reducing spam, claiming that they stood to win individual bonuses of as much as $10 million tied to increases in daily users. And third, Mudge alleges that Twitter has lied about the extent of bots and spam on its platform to Elon Musk, and saying there that the company has no incentive to accurately count the number of such accounts and, if anything, is incentivized to undercount them. Though he did not provide hard evidence that this was happening and Twitter denies it. Which is why, as we've talked about, Musk and Twitter are going to court in October over the billionaire's attempt to back out of his purchase of the company due to precisely this issue. So these new allegations could significantly hurt Twitter's defense in this case. It's just going to depend on how much real evidence is provided and what can be demonstrated. And so now, unsurprisingly, you have lawyers for Musk issuing subpoenas for both Mudge and Jack Dorsey to appear at the trial. There's also this business between Mudge and Twitter over his termination, which he believes was in retaliation for him trying to bring awareness to the security issues. And as far as Twitter's response to all of this, you have a spokesperson claiming that Mudge was fired for ineffective leadership and poor performance in adding, what we've seen so far is a false narrative about Twitter and our privacy and data security practices that is riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies and lacks important context. As well as responding to some of the more specific claims saying that it has a range of security measures to prevent employees from accessing sensitive data and that Mudge doesn't understand FTC compliance. But yeah, as of recording, that is where we are with this absolute mess of a story. And I mean, that's without covering everything, which I'll link down below to reports. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, being subscribed to these daily dives into the news. Also, if you want more news, I got you covered right here or in those links down below. But of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.